RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Okay, it's time for Money Talks again here at RCR. Faz and Arani joins me again. Faz and welcome back. Hey, uh, thanks, uh, Paul. I want to get into mortgage talk again or debt talk because I noticed over the weekend there was a story from Australia and um, it was a TV host on Channel 9 News going off at the banks and the Reserve Bank in particular because the uh, mortgage payment uh, raises that people are going to experience over the next year when they refix their mortgages are mind-blowing thousands of dollars, I think 15 to 20 extra thousand dollars a year. And a lot of people don't have that money. So there's a negative equity situation that's really um, stirring up in Australia, which is, you know, bad enough for a TV host to come out and rant on his show. So are we, are we in the same situation? I believe so. Yes, absolutely. I think there's at least three countries in the same situation. It would be Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. The housing yep. markets are pretty similar. Um, and we did not have the housing correction that uh, the US and maybe Europe had during the global financial crisis because uh, there was a big housing crisis in the US. So yes, we're on the same track. And obviously there's articles in New Zealand about similar stuff that uh, I think we mentioned this last week as well when Cam and I were speaking. Uh, the mainstream media is going to now start ranching it up and ratcheting it up, sorry, uh, talking about these kind of raises coming to put it in people's perception that this is exactly what's going to happen. And don't blame us if this happens. And I think one figure I quoted last week from an article was if the average home loan was about half a million, that would mean 15,600 uh, per annum in extra mortgage payments. Um, people aren't going to be able to find that money are they really they don't mate they just don't as I, we've discussed over the first two or three weeks people just don't have that kind of money under their belt um they they're living off savings and this is exactly why it's so important to connect all these dots is they don't have that kind of a pay rise do they who who in their right mind has had such a big jump. I know economists talk, oh, there's inflation in the economy and unemployment is so low and that is exactly why people are getting pay rises and this and that. Because I read below the data, I know there aren't that many jobs being created. There are so many people who have left New Zealand. The tourists aren't coming in. So obviously they make it sound like the unemployment numbers are so good, but this is not full-time employment. People aren't going from 150 to $180,000. People are going from fifty-five to sixty thousand dollars, and it has no impact, really. So, w what happens because you know the the bank lent them the money in the first place, and yeah, they signed up for it, but they people didn't think it could get this bad, so they've kind of walked into it. The money was created out of thin air during COVID, thanks to the Reserve Bank, so they have to have or take some responsibility. I mean, is there any? Is there any way you could go back to a bank in this situation and say, look, I know it's going to cost this much extra. I'm not going to be able to do it, but I don't expect you to walk away from me. So give me a better deal. Is there any hope of doing that? There, there, there is, but there's a catch in there, Paul. Um, again, I mentioned this last week about the UK. Uh, the, the, there's banks in the UK who are starting to see this. 
And just for people to now understand what's happening in the UK and what's going to happen here, again, I can't give financial advice because everyone's situation is going to be different. But in the UK, the news story was, are people are in mortgage, uh, they're in trouble, they're struggling to make mortgage payments. And what's happening is the minister, for the finance minister, is having a chat with all the CEOs of the banks. And he's saying, please be lenient with the UK citizens, right? And what that essentially means is it's saying, oh, you know what? The government really cares. Go talk to your bank so they can help you alleviate the stress. Talking about week three, when I explain or week three or week four, where I explain what actually happens on the on the balance sheet of the bank, that is exactly what the bank wants you to do is come talk to them so they can do one of two things, which I mentioned last week. Either they're going to put you on interest only, which means you're going to get deeper in the hole because all you're doing is paying them interest. So they can say that this is not a non-performing loan. Look, we helped the customer and he's still making the interest payments. So they're still good because you're not defaulting technically. Or the second thing is somebody has only got 15 years to go on their mortgage. Um, I suddenly been told, oh, let's sign a new loan document for 25 years. So because this payment was going to double, it's going to stay the same. But now we have 25 years to go. And eventually the rates will come down. So the customer goes, oh, yeah, this is really helping me. But it's like you, you're just doubling your mortgage again because now you're paying that same debt over an additional 10 years. Hope that makes sense. So yeah, that's so, a trick they're playing with you. So the bank um, are, are taking money and paying a, an interest rate for it. And then there's a big margin. I don't know how big the margin is, but there's a there's a margin on that. Why can't the banks lower their margin in times of stress? Uh, because they have to stay liquid as well. They have to make money. Can you imagine, even though all this stress in the economy, the banks have had record profits. <laughs> and the government, I, I don't know, again, it's not my place to say, but the government can't come out and say, hey, make a smaller profit because it's a private organization. And this is exactly what we don't want, is we don't want the government meddling in these. Um, but it's too late. They created the money. Out of thin air. So, of thin so air. they are part of the problem. So they've got to dig out of the hole just like everyone else. Surely take their responsibility. Well, you'd hope so. You'd hope so. But then if they reduce the margin, they'll say, see, it's because the bank, uh, the government asked us to reduce our margins. That's why we're now facing pressure and the bank went bust. So you you don't know these executives. They'll then blame it back on, oh, this is why we went bust, right? So there's a lot of stress tests being done behind the scenes uh, in all countries as we speak. While you were gone last week, as I mentioned, um, the TSB CEO had, uh, CEO had resigned but also the CFO of ASB had resigned. So what is going on for these people starting to leave suddenly, I would well, say? Well, that's the rats leaving the ship, isn't it? <laughs> well, sinking ship, that's the saying, right? Exactly, exactly. So uh, again, people just need to think through what is going on. Um, the margins, are, of course, they can reduce the margins, but that just means they have operating costs, as I mentioned. So most of these big banks have commercial properties that they lease in different suburbs of Auckland and Wellington and all of that, but they have to house their staff. They have operating costs, electricity, printers, bonuses, staff salaries, all of that. Their margins get cut. Eventually, the branches, as you see, uh, are being shut. So they're reducing their operating and fixed costs, if that makes sense. It's yep. a fixed cost to have a branch, and it's an it's a part of operating expenditure. So they're trying to reduce all of that, and they're trying to get us all, all online, 
uh, also for the UBI and the CBDC. But again, taking it back to the one thing I mentioned initially, the banks also know that the bigger plan is eventually if the whole banking system collapses, the reserve banks come in and say, hey, guys, we have a central bank digital currency. Because if you think about this, as I said, our money is already digital right now. It's only on apps. It's only magic digits, right? It's only when you go to the ATM and withdraw physical currency that money comes out, which is about 3 to 4% circulating in the economy. So it's already digital. The central bank digital currency program has been running since about 2012. They have the technology in place, but they needed a crisis. So they gave us a soft crisis with COVID to see people locked up and the government could just hand out money. So if you see the two things they're going to do when there's a central bank digital currency and a UBI, they've already tried that under the pretext of a, let's call it a pandemic. Um, there's documentaries out there calling it a pandemic. So yep. they've seen how people will react and now they're ready for the next phase. Uh, banks are collapsing. Some banks have collapsed in the US. There's another bank in America now in distress, as I talked about the UK ones. Now they're putting it openly in uh, the media saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So if a bank does collapse, then people knew this was coming, right? Okay, so plausible deniability. Like, we told you. We well, told, we you, told was... you also, and hey, we did our best, right? We did our best. Uh, to, yeah, we're heroes. Um, and, and last week, as I explained as well, the, the Reserve Bank might say it's increasing interest rates to fight inflation. It's it's kind of a white lie, so to speak. Well, they created it. They created it. Well, they've always been creating it, Paul. But the whole point is them saying we're increasing interest rates now to fight inflation when for the last 18 or 20 years, they could not even get inflation. So with all the money printing, they could not get inflation. So during the global financial crisis, when all the reserve banks around the world created so much money, they were like, look, 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 we created so much money. There's not much inflation because there's general deflation in the economy. Now, again, I'll go off on a little tangent, but you've seen the technological progress in the last 10, uh, for, well, I wouldn't say 10, but 20 to 25 years. We have apps. We used to have to print pictures and take it off to get developed and stuff. Now everything's online. So the cost of doing anything has gone down. Um, so it's technology is generally deflationary. And as I mentioned again in week two, Central banks hate deflation more than inflation because if we need inflation in the economy for their actual monetary system to function, but they only like it at two or three percent. When it gets to eight, nine percent, the average consumer sees it openly, and that's when the central banks have a problem. Now, imagine if there was deflation, the whole game would get exposed because there's no money in the system. But isn't there sort of well, deflation is going to come because if activity disappears or is it when goods um, and um, and services are rare, you get that inflation. I can't remember how it goes, but if the activity really um, lessens, does that not cause deflation ultimately? It's, it's, it's not, yeah, activity also. But if you go back to the Great Depression, what happened, right? There were there were people selling, there, there, there's a picture on the internet with a guy saying $100 will buy you this car. It's a Ford uh, car. What happens is uh, it's the opposite of inflation. So everything, real asset prices drop in value. 
and essentially cash becomes king that's where the saying comes from cash is king because yeah. in deflation liquidity is key and that's why I'm telling people don't just listen to me on the radio and assume that we're going from years straight to hyperinflation we're not there's going to be speed bumps because if they want hyperinflation let's just talk to an example if you bought a house for a million and you have a 700k mortgage against it the authorities or the central authorities that we're talking about, they're not going to let this go into hyperinflation because then maybe your annual wage is $700,000 because as I said, tomatoes yeah. might be $100 a dozen or whatever. Why will they benefit the common man? So somewhere in between those two is a deflationary uh, spike down coming and people need to be careful. And that's what I'll also say. If I was reading these articles online and going, they're telling me, oh, the interest rates are going to double and 50% of New Zealand households are going to see a massive jump in their mortgage payments. What they're trying to psychologically tell you is as soon as you come off your fixed rate or if you're on a floating rate, make sure you fix it quickly because the rates might only keep going up. Now imagine you fix it at 8%. And there's, let's say, a crisis or a plan, whatever thing out there, the Reserve Bank will again drop interest rates tremendously. Now, if customers go, oh, I could have had 3% interest rates instead of 8%, there's a break cost. So money, banks make money again. And this happened during the global financial crisis again. People used to come and go, oh, I'm fixed at 7 or 8%. I know the existing fixed rate at the moment is 3 How do I do it? Oh, you can do it, but there's a 40,000 break cost. Yeah. Because remember, when you're fixing it, the bank's fixing it somewhere else as well. So be sure you're not, not getting caught up in that trap either. And the second thing is, as I said, do not extend and pretend because the banks will want to do that. If you have a 15-year mortgage, they'll say, let's just put it over 25 years right now so you can service your debt because we don't want to sell sell you out and throw you on the streets, right? So let's do this and you have 12 months to try and recover and all that kind of stuff. So they, yes, they will work with you. I'm not saying they're not working with you and there's some hidden agenda, but you've got to think they're protecting that, their book, because in deflation, their book causes the banking crisis. But they've been making huge profits, right? They have been and they've been distributing it as well, right? I came across, um, don't quote me on this again, Again, but the, there's this thing called GSIBs where sometime back during the global financial crisis, the GSIB acronym stands for globally, uh, Global Systemic Important Banks. And those are your Deutsche Banks and your Goldman Sachs and your JP Morgans and the very big, big, big ones, of which we saw Deutsche Bank collapse um, just not that long back anyways. And I was reading something on the Reserve Bank of New Zealand's website. They've come up with a new acronym. It's called DSIBs. Domestic, systematically important banks. And their capital ratios, I think it had to be, there's different tiers, but I think it's at 3.5. So if you have a 3.5% capital one tier ratio, you can pay 100% out to your shareholders. So they're saying, as long as your ratio is only 3.5, go on, pay, pay, pay it out. But for some of the smaller banks, there's it's more stringent numbers. And that's why we might have seen what's happened with TSP. I'm assuming this. Uh, also, because as I explained in the US, they're trying to get rid of the smaller players. They don't want the smaller players playing around. I saw something um, recently, I can't remember the item, but they were saying basically get ready for more bank failures in the US and there'll be regional banks and the whole idea is to consolidate them into just a, a small number of big players. That is the entire aim. That is the entire aim. UK, uh, sorry, Europe and um 
the US has too many banks in the thousands, as I said. Um, this morning I was reading um, some article where there's a UK bank called One Savings Bank, which is now in trouble. And just on Friday alone, its value fell by 29%. Can you imagine wow. that? Okay. If you were a shareholder of that bank, in one day you lost 30% of your bank's share value. And just to give you some context, it, it its um, uh, assets were about $56 billion. Compare that to, let's say, our local Kiwi bank is only $33 billion. Or okay. the biggest bank in New Zealand is about ANZ at about $189 billion. So that's quite a big, chunky bank that lost 30% in one day. So when people say, oh, could this happen in New Zealand? Oh, well, it could, mate. You could go to sleep on a Friday and on a Monday, it might just be like, because insiders know, as we said, and there might be trouble. I don't know which bank, what people sometimes say, I'm at this bank. Do I switch to that bank? And I'm like, I, I wish I was a messiah. Oh, I was sitting on the board of one of these banks. So I knew exactly what the conversation was when what they're talking about. Um, but just to be mindful about these things, right? In a night, you could lose 30%. And that's when people get jittery. And I think um, that that was the problem with TSB. They, 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 I think the profits dropped by about 50% or something along those lines, what I read. So just understand what's going on. Keep yourself and your family safe. Make sure you have a lot of buffers. You have a lot of liquidity. Um, and just keep an eye on what's happening and be nimble. I was talking to someone over the weekend and I could tell they weren't that well informed and they were still sort of quite glowing about property and how it could never fail. And, you know, and I was saying, well, you, I think you've got to be careful. And and the conversation went along the lines of, oh, well, you you know, you, you, you're listening to the wrong people and conspiracy theorists and all of that. Okay, I get that. You get a lot of that these days. <laughs> um, they're going to stay in there. There's still a perception out there that that everything's kind of all right. Is that a good time now if you've got a house to sell it? Uh, again, that would be seen as personal financial advice. Okay, but that's what I would sitting. I would say generally, I, I would consider depends. doing it. I would definitely consider doing it if it was me. Let me put it that way. Yes and no. So let me instead of answering it as a yes or a don't do it, um, some free advice on the radio is depends on where you sit, right? How much equity you have. So let's say your mortgage is only two hundred and your property is worth a million right now. Um, then why bother? Because if you just want to stay there, again, as I said, if, you, if people have six, seven, eight investment properties, as they've been led to believe, then yeah, get rid of some of the overhang, right? Well, well I was more thinking about the people who are having to pay, you know, 15, 20 extra K um, a year. Yeah, but they, they still have to live somewhere, Paul, so they're still going to have to pay rent. Yeah, but at least they wouldn't have the millstone. Um again, that, that's a yes and no, right? I don't know everyone's yeah, okay. personal financial situation. That's why personal reach out. But if you think you are not going to be in trouble if interest rates went up further, and this was one of the simple examples even, even last week was um, they were talking that during um, the COVID thing, people in New Zealand could get 2 3 4% interest rates. And now the average, I don't know, floating is about 859 so you're more than doubled already. And in yeah. the 1980s, in the US, interest rates, the, the, the official cash rate, which is what your Reserve Bank does, but I'm talking about the Federal Reserve in the US, the interest rates went to 20.5%. So can you imagine if the Reserve Bank went to 
It's at only 5.25, I think, in New Zealand right now. But if the Reserve Bank of New Zealand took interest rates to 10, what would your mortgage interest rate be? 18%, 20%? If they took it to 20, where would your interest rate be? I don't and think I'm the not saying they're going to take it there to fight inflation. Well, we've had because it at that stage, people will understand they're just being stupid and they're lying. Yeah, sorry, what were you saying, Paul? Uh, we've had that before. When I bought my first house, it was in that range. It was uh, mortgage rates, and that was in the 80s, mid-80s from memory. Exactly so we've been, right. we've been there before. But we houses were cheaper. Houses were cheaper then. It's it okay. Let let let's talk through this. You you're right, right? So this is not just the housing, it's also the government thing. And this is why I said governments will ha have to collapse by 20, well, default on the debt by 2026. So when we talked about cycles and interest rate cycles, I think in week two or week three, the the difference is in the 1970s, there was too much inflation, 1980s, the interest rates were raised up and everyone had interest rates sitting at about 20, 22%. But as you said, the property was your house was only 80 or 100,000 or even less than that. It was right? 64. So you could service it. I bought there it for 64,000. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> it was easy to service it because your base, your loan, let's say it was 50,000. So even if the interest rates doubled or tripled, you could still manage that. Now, the base layer in the equation is almost a million bucks for most families. So doubling that is really big. And that's what I'm saying. There's, there's a key difference where people say this cycle, if we want to understand what's happening now, we have to go back to the 1970s. I would say no, because in the 1970s, inflation was too high. What we got to understand was uh, around the world, we had the baby boom generation. There was a lot of population. They were buying houses on the cheap, so it was okay. It was demand-driven inflation. This is more like the 1940s. All right? So... Countries yeah. went to war. We created world. There was World War II. I, I said mistake. I wasn't born then. But there was World War II. People went to war because the debt was too much. War helps clear the debt out. Governments default on their debt and they blame it on the war. And it was a big war. So it was World War II. Governments had to borrow more and more. And then they write off the debt because the new government then comes out of it. So I would start people to, I would ask people to start thinking that this is not like the 1970s. Think more like the 1940s, because we're seeing a proxy war in Ukraine and Russia. We're seeing governments borrowing more, knowing they're going to default. Because think about this, if the Reserve Bank has increased the interest rate, so the, we, we spoke about the government borrowing money as well, right? So the government's borrowing money at almost was borrowing money at close to zero. And the government's now having the New Zealand bond, I think is about four, four and a half percent. So the New Zealand government now has to service that same debt at four, four and a half percent. Even it, it, the government can't service it. So do you think the Reserve Bank doesn't know this? It knows this. So if it goes to 10, can the New Zealand government keep supporting the debt it already has? Or does it then have to cut back on its socialist policies or either default? Natural transition. Nothing I'm saying is a conspiracy theory. It's just math. It's just logic. Oh, dear. <laughs> if you don't have the money, how are you going to pay for it? So either they take on more debt and more people don't buy the New Zealand government debt, which means now the Reserve Bank will, the New Zealand government have to offer higher and higher and higher interest rates because it's a riskier bet for people to invest with us. Or the government just has to default because nobody gives it money anymore. What happens in a default? Everything gets wiped out. Too bad suckers, they'll say. You bought government debt thinking it was the best thing ever.
What is it? What what happens to the citizen though? Um, standard of living drops tremendously, first of all, because if the any government this is so this is again what's happening in Zimbabwe and Venezuela and all of that. People trust the New Zealand or the Australian government more than the Venezuelan government. So at some stage, people will say, we'd rather not buy the New Zealand debt because we can't see them paying this back ever. Uh, I'm not saying that is the case yet or whatever, but there's worse countries worse than us. This country is better than us. So if I'm a global hedge fund, I'd rather rather take my money to the USA um, because it is the global reserve currency still. Um, But the standard of living drops because your New Zealand dollar will drop like a brick. And I explained this last week. The Reserve Bank is not increasing interest rates because they're fighting inflation. They're increasing interest rates to keep the New Zealand dollar hanging in there, so to speak, right? Well, Because imagine if our interest rates were only still 2%. The New Zealand dollar would be sitting below 50 cents on of the um, US dollar. And it has in the past again as well. It's sitting, I, I think it's been in the 45 range. Yeah, uh, I, I, I remember cents. it. Remember it there. Yeah. That's coming. Maybe about 20 I tell years people ago. Now that's coming yeah. as well. I want to get on to cash because um it's on the way out. We we see that. And also with uh that recent story in the UK with Nigel Farage having his banking cancelled, basically. And it seems to me that this could be a possibility for people in the future, that banks don't necessarily have to give you a bank account. And if none of them give you a bank account, well, what do you do? Well, before there was cash. But if cash disappears, what happens then? And what can you do to survive in that situation? Well, the Nigel Farage story is quite important right and i think uh it's woken up just like the canadian trucker thing the nigel farage story has woken up a lot of people because he was a member i think and i'm not sure if he still is but a member of the uk parliament and stuff like that so if they can do it to someone like him um they can do it to any of us um there is a line they're crossing every once in a while and it's not just nigel farage let me be honest they shut down all his family's accounts Yeah. So they try to punish him, so to speak. And there have been others, um, not just him, uh, debanked, um, uh, separate of him and his family. It's happened to others as well. And you mentioned the Canadian truckers. So yeah. this is a this is now a thing. This is definitely a thing. Um, there's a lady who interviews uh, people around the world in Australia called Maria Folio. She was debanked uh, recently as well. She's based in Melbourne. And she does exactly what you're doing and talking to people. It's more webinar-based chat, people around the world. She was debanked. It's happening already. It's just that Nigel Farage was so famous that the word's gotten out there. And now, again, there's some members of parliament out there who are kind of saying, oh, this should never happen. Let's let's pass it into legislation. But this is the silly thing. This is where the central planner's agenda is falling off, right? So I've told people, yes, they're trying to take us to UBI. Yes, they're trying to do this whole CBDC. We'll go through a lot of crap over the next six or eight years, but they lose because humanity survives at the other end of this because people who are asleep right now will eventually wake up and go, how is this benefiting us? But they have the double standards, right? So because they're telling us we should all have an app and that's how they're going to give us UBI. So they want to bank the debanked or unbank because there's a lot of people in even in America who don't have bank accounts and they just deal in cash and in countries like Nigeria and all that kind of stuff, as we saw with their central bank digital currency launch. So on one hand, they're saying we want to bank everyone. But then on the other hand, they're de-banking the people who speak against them. So 
hopefully, again, people with a few gray cells, neck above, can think through this and go, none of this is coherent. It isn't making any sense. And then the agenda goes. So they want to get us all electronically. So then we can't say anything because if there is no cash, they'll just shut the tap off and you'll wake up one morning and who are you going to go tell? Let's say, let's say they did what they did to Nigel Farage to me. And I said, Hey, Paul, can you believe I have no money? Can you lend me some? But now you're on a central bank digital currency as well. How are you going to lend it to me? How are you yeah. going to help me? Right? Because they can program it so I can't give it to you. They can program it so you can't do anything. They Again, when I was in Australia, I'll tell you this. So when, when uh, people on the dole and Aboriginal um, people who are on government assistance in some areas in Australia, what they did was, and I think it, it is in New Zealand as well, I'm not sure, but when they give you the doll, I think they have a little FPOS card that they trial with uh, Bankwest out there or something along those lines, where that card is preloaded. So instead of them putting money in your bank account, that card is loaded with your weekly allowance or your doll amount, and they can program it already. So they say, oh, because we're just trying to help the Aboriginal not buy drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. Well, apparently you can buy alcohol on it now. <laughs> oh, can they? Yeah. Well, I heard, yeah. Well, tell me. Yeah. back in those days, they said, oh, we just want to make sure because there's a lot of violence in their families and there's abuse and this and that. But that was programmed FPOS card. So why couldn't they do it on a central bank digital currency? In fact, with the central bank digital currency, as we've seen in China, with the social credit score, you can't even jump on a train or a bus. So how are you going to move? And then the 15-minute cities, you can't buy a steak, Paul, because your carbon footprint is too high. Yeah, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. So they can they, they can program it, and they're openly telling us this. So the whole point is we've got to fight it. Uh, as Catherine uh, Austin Fitz says, uh, she I think she did Cash Friday. She was asking people to do that. I'd say people in New Zealand want to start waking up, withdraw cash, use cash, Force businesses that you walk into say, oh, no, no, no cash. Walk out of their businesses and use your cash elsewhere where they're going to respect your business rather than say, um, not with the card. But this trend's been going on for a while, mate. So if you think about first, we had those little um, FPOS cards. Then there were chips. Then there was contactless. Uh, now it's like just have it on your phone. Uh, if people follow some different macroeconomists. And if you also know what's happening in Sweden, you know they actually have these little rice-like chips in their arms. Yeah, I've seen when that. You go to yeah. Everything, yeah. So your digital ID is in that little chip. So Gosh. why would you even need a phone with a central bank digital currency when a chip's in your hand and you can just walk around, go to the gym, tap it so they know, hi, Paul, you are at the gym now. Enjoy your workout. Hi, Paul, you are now buying a steak, uh, blah, blah, blah. This is your carbon footprint for this week. No more steaks, um, whatever. So it, it's just a little chip. I remember years back, this just came to me. I watched a movie. Uh, I'm trying to think of the gentleman who used to be in a boy band and he was in that movie and they show this little clock on his hand and he's got to top it up every time or he dies. Oh, gosh. Uh, so you've got to constantly earn money to stay alive. And it's 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 crazy. It's sci-fi, right? Uh, Justin yeah. Timberlake. He was in that movie. I I, uh, okay. I I can't remember the name of the movie, but yeah, it was crazy sci-fi stuff, right? But they're gonna lose because you humanity wins after all. Yeah, but uh, in the meantime, let's say you get debanked, cash disappears pretty well. Um, you know how how are you gonna survive? I mean, is there anything that you can store? What would you store up? Would you try? Would you try and have some gold? Would you try and have or, or you, you're completely lost. 
Well, you're not completely lost. The smart people know what they're doing. Everything goes underground. Um, so there'll be the official yeah. economy and there'll be the underground economy. People survive. People aren't stupid. People are built wealth. I'm just going to let the government take all their uh, savings, which is what they're trying. Uh, you said, what do you do? A lot of storage of food. Uh, some people are energy efficient. Most people don't think of energy, but let's say there's no electricity for a week. Uh, you could have a freezer full of food and then there's it's all gone bad. So uh, food, water, energy, uh, a Gosh. little bit of silver, a little bit of cash, uh, silver for trading, as I said, gold for wealth preservation. Again, I'm not giving any financial advice. No, no, I, I get that. That's yeah. what I do with my clients is depending each one scenario. It's a different asset allocation strategy and what they're trying to achieve. Because somebody might just be struggling to pay their mortgage payments, totally different conversation um, to someone who's got, let's say $5 million in a bank account and just doesn't want the bank going bust on them losing it all so they can pass it on to their kids. Um, most people will fall in between those two extremes. Um, and that's where I kind of come in. Um, but again, there's 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 hope. The only problem, mate, is if I can be honest, and I'm, this is being honest, like you've got to be realistic as well. The 7 billion of us on the planet, they've been telling us they want to thin the population. There's too many of us, which is a problem, according to them. Uh, first, obviously, the COVID and the cure that they had was, let's just say, not not ideal. So no, we, nicely put. Yeah, I'm just trying to put, be as nice as I can. We it certainly about wasn't ideal. You're right. Life insurance numbers in, the, in America and stuff. Yep. So some people are seeing through that. So that's one way. Um, there is... Uh, food shortages coming. There will be food shortages coming, either by a natural shortage or so Ukraine does a lot of wheat, Russia, all that kind of stuff, food grains. Um, so the Western democracies might suffer because Russia, India, India make, creates the most rice. Russia has wheat, uh, all that kind of stuff. So those countries are going, okay, we'll just trade amongst ourselves. If you're just going to be uh, bad and want to go to war with us all the time and when we, you don't like our policies so those countries might have food uh, new zealand has been quite self-sufficient when it comes to most food but i think a brain-dead government creates climate change policy and is trying to just make it harder for our farmers and stuff as well um but the third thing also is to make it too expensive. As I, uh, when we were speaking to Cam last week, uh, if the New Zealand dollar gets weak, which means petrol and diesel gets really expensive, what do you use on farms? You use diesel and tractors and this and that. Uh, why did they shut off some refinery up north? Um, so this is all planning towards that. And they'll say, we didn't see it coming. Oh, it's because there was a nuclear attack out here. That's why all of this happened. So it's demand supply. Money will get too expensive. Petrol, diesel might get too expensive, so you can't travel, um, which means food gets expensive because food has to jump on trucks to be delivered to supermarkets, which means you'll eat less, you'll have less disposable income. Um, yeah, and a few, um, I don't know the exact number, but I would probably say out of 7 billion, um, depending on which country you're in, whatnot, maybe half, 500 million, a billion people could not get to the other end at 2032. Because of malnutrition or no money or whatever it is. We don't know. Okay. Gee. So you reckon 2026? No, no. Well, we come out the, the other end at about 2032 when they're going. No, no, but the, where, where things really start to, you know. Yes, yes. I think uh, without going again into too much detail, the Ukraine thing is a proxy war. As I said, Europe is in trouble, as we can see. There's some riots happening in France as well. Uh, again, there's there's 
three layers down the true story uh what's really happening in france and stuff i won't go into that but yes europe desperately needs to start looking at defaulting on their debt which means they need ukraine and russia to go to war so nato can get involved uh it's just common sense nothing again all, all the global macroeconomists around the world are talking about this it's a proxy war so europe and america can get involved turn it into world war three uh and then they get to default on their debt which serves a lot of their purposes as well um let's just say maybe in 20 so they, they're trying to get a war as soon as they can even before maybe the next u.s presidential election which is uh next year but russia is not biting back right uh I think not at the moment no no they're not they're not and this is why they're trying there's media stories about the coup here and coup there and um why would Russia blow up their own pipeline right it didn't make any sense that no, was no, one believes that. Exactly. no one believes that exactly exactly yeah. um then again right now it's a nuclear plant which is under Russian uh control for just almost a year and um, they, I think I read something this morning where a missile was filed out of uh, somewhere in uh, Kiev. Um, so they will try and create a false flag. I can tell you this. So they just want to go to war. And our prime minister is at the NATO meeting. Um, yeah, NATO has no relevance if Russia is not the problem, right? Well, what they relevance make... does it have to us? We're in the bloody Pacific. Ah, us nothing. But, well, we just say our politicians are part of this thing and they have to just dance along. Um, yeah, they might get. And I, and I think it's well. broken also that we've signed a formal trade deal with the European Union that uh, includes a commitment to deliver on our Paris Accord promises to reduce climate emissions, or we can be sanctioned. So here we go. It's crazy how we agree to stuff which has no impact on climate. Well, no one ever asked right? us, mate. I know. I they know. Do we just have stuff to without even asking. Climate change, Paris Accord, which was so long back. Even BlackRock's now recently gone. Oh, I don't think this is actually working because they're they're losing funds. Uh, Texas and Florida uh, pension funds are withdrawing funds from BlackRock. So uh, their their CEO Larry Fink's come out and said, "Oh, maybe we'll slow down on this." Or it's become all political now. So maybe we'll look at our policies. No, no, no. He's starting to bleed money, and the BlackRock share price is going down. And that is exactly why. Um, people are voting with their money. And that's why I even ask Kiwis and Australians and everyone to start looking at where their investment funds are actually sitting. Uh, be mindful of what your money is being used for. Um, they sold us the whole story in the last five, six, seven years. Oh, it's ethical. Let's go this side and let's invest in this. It's just that that is a money losing process. ESG well, made sense when in Europe, interest rates were negative. Yeah. Right. Now with a positive carry, all climate change ESG investment is a loss-making process. So you have to keep subsidizing it and subsidizing it. And there is no climate, there is climate change. But if people just think to uh, Al Gore coming back in the days and they had these things on uh, the magazines, the world magazines and all of that. Oh, by 20, by 1995, we'll be underwater. Then it became yeah, right. 2005 and then it became 2010. Crap. The world's just not ending and they used to call it global warming. And then the science was proving that the planet's actually getting colder. And they went, oh, shit, we have to change the term we're using now. Sorry for my language, the poll. That's but right. they went, now we're going to call it climate change. We're not going to call it global warming because the planet's getting colder. Um, now, anything can be a climate change, right? A sudden fire in Canada, which we don't, let's just say, mysteriously started. Yeah, how did, that, in how did that countries. happen? Yeah. Everything's climate change now. But, but here's the thing. If you're going to sign up a country to a trade deal with something the size and scale of the European Union, 
and you can be sanctioned for not reducing your um, emissions as per the Paris Accord. That impacts on the lives of New Zealanders potentially. But no one, this should have been put to the people as a referendum. It should have. I mean, I think we'll get to that. On the, on the other end, 2032, this is exactly what happens. To, democracy breaks down and everything comes I think it's back already to broken the down, people. actually. Switzerland has referendums for everything, right? Yeah, they've got a 400 or 600 year history of that. We, we, we have the old one, but it's never usually binding. But, you know, you've got Christopher Hipkins and Damien O'Connor. These guys basically are hicks. They are. They have no real experience in life. They don't really know what they're doing. He looks like a schoolboy. And here he is throwing us all potentially under the bus without even asking. No, they're not. And even if you think about when you mentioned Chris Hipkins, so let's say he's the prime minister right now. Did you vote for him? You didn't really. No, because, hold on. No, I'm not talking about you personally, but I'm talking, yeah. let's say, the New Zealand government. Let's say, if you believe the numbers that Labour won the election 60, 70% or whatever, so they had a mandate to govern for the next three or four years. But those people who voted for Labour also did for Jacinda Ardern, who was the previous prime minister. Did anyone actually vote for Christopher Hipkins? No. No. So how, he doesn't have a mandate to go out and sign these things. And the election is so close, the next one. But again, it doesn't matter. Just a snake with a different head, if you're being honest. With the, I think with so, the yeah. So it doesn't really matter. The agenda is on the table. We know where this is going. And this is what I'm saying. It's your local communities. Know who your neighbors are. Have a resilience plan. Because one person can't do anything or one family can't do everything. So have a plan in place. Because the system is going to collapse. And people who used to think the government will come to save me, they're the ones who are honestly going to be really surprised at what comes yep. out the other and way. And angry. There will be no government. There's going to be anarchy in the streets. You're seeing what's happening in France right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get out of the cities if you can. Most people. <laughs> get out of the cities. Well, it's well, going to be chaos, right? The, yeah. the more people, the more hungry mouths to feed. I'm not saying New Zealand is that. The French like revolution, but we saw during Black Lives Matter and all that stuff in US as well. The cities, if you're on a big farm somewhere far away, you know the three, four farmers around you, and New Zealand allows for that kind of lifestyle. Why not get out of yeah. trouble's way? Uh, right? Uh, is what oh, yeah. I'm saying. But these guys signing this, I can tell you right now, they're just signing it because they have no choice, mate. So um, it's just nothing they're doing is going to make sense. The next thing that comes either towards the end of this year or next year, there could be three things. One is the war going into hyperdrive. The second is there could be a magical illness coming out again. With just touching on this little bit, supposedly in the US now, after 20 years, this cases of malaria started to emerge now. I see that. Yep. Yeah, because of the flying mosquitoes that Bill Gates has got going and <laughs> yeah. the story they're selling us and all of that stuff. So there could be some kind of sickness again, or there will be climate change lockdowns. So they are going to have to lock us down. Or again. all of the above. Or all of the above simultaneously. Yes, again. So those are two or three things that could play out. The easiest one for them to say is, oh, look, war started. And just one other thing, if people start thinking about what happens with war is everything, inflation actually goes up again. Because in war, there's shortages of food. There's no flying ship containers and flights just bringing you food and all that stuff because it's riskier through certain um, sea corridors and all of that. Um, petrol and diesel would go up. Um, manufacturing businesses in certain countries, in Europe this has happened, a normal manufacturing business will be asked by the government to now start creating arms and ammunition manufacturing bases are more certain things now 
been a certain, we're 70 years later, but war is massively inflationary. So now the Reserve Bank is increasing interest rates, saying there's inflation, so we're fighting it. Might drop down a little bit, but there's massive inflation ahead as well. And at the other end, there's just deflation. So most macroeconomists around the world are saying in the last 60, 70 years, this is the most complex it's ever been. And it's not easy. Okay. And yeah. this is why also if someone says, Fazil just tell me now what I can do. So I'll be fine at the other end of this five years from now. It's not that easy because governments are breaking their own rules. They said they were not going to bail out the banks in the US and then they bailed them out because there was a 250K US limit. So the governments are constantly chopping and changing. So you have to be nimble. If you buy a house now thinking it's just going into hyperinflation and then there's massive deflation, you're going to get wiped out completely. Or if there's def the other way around, right? Vice versa. So it's about being nimble, knowing what to look for and being able to communicate or read through certain things and understand what is really happening in the economy. Farzan, great chat as usual. Um, let's do it all again next Thursday. This sounds good, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.